What's up, everybody? This is Illiterate. This week we are covering The Godfather. My name is Evan. I watched all three opening episodes of The Offer on Paramount+. Plus. My name is Taylor, and I dove into Mario Puzo's rare autobiography. This is a great opportunity to celebrate and get into the phenomena that is The Godfather. We're not so much going to be talking about the other sequels as much, but as so much Godfather as a whole and the gusto that gets us up to the events of the show, The Offer. Right, because The Offer is not following everyone. It's centered around one of the producers, Albert Ruddy's experience. Even the show I saw, you know, usually it's like based on this book or based on this article or it says based mm-hmm, on Albert mm-hmm. S. Ruddy's experience of making The Godfather. <laughs> so literally just his, <laughs> his fallible memories. He's 91 now. So I'm amazed the guy is around and he is like involved. He's executive producing. Uh, it's a, a lovely little film school for anybody that has or hasn't has ever had the interest of that kind of thing into movies at all. This could be a plug and play for a lot of different big projects. Well, um, yeah. So it's even all the more fascinating that it seems ridiculous, the events that happen. And from what I understand, almost all of it's true. But we're not so much going to be getting into the weeds and the nitty gritty of the show. Yeah. We're going to be dancing around it all. In particular, Mario, because I, 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 I really have no idea anything about him up until the events of the show start. And, mm-hmm. and again, this is a guy that has his name over the title everywhere you see the Godfather. He's attached to it. I'm excited to to learn a little bit more about him and, yeah. and all these characters because this is really an interesting cast of characters. Because like I said, his autobiography is rare. I was able to get a copy. It was only published in 72 shortly after as, as a thing where he said, I'm going to just put this one thing out. Nobody else talked to me because he didn't do interviews for 20 years. There's only one that I could find of him on Charlie Rose in 1996. And then I found wow, a transcript wow. of when he was on Larry King the same year. But there really isn't much him talking about his side of things. And like we said, the show is Albert S. Ruddy's experience and so it's his also perception of what is true because there was no consultation (laughs) from anybody else the other producers coppola so it's kind of well they're all dead so no i'm just yeah (laughs) or hate you or whatever (laughs) yeah but i guess the whole premise being like puzo starting out the whole thing and being involved in it all because he co-wrote the screenplay with francis ford coppola Mm -hmm. but it started with of course the book I looked into how'd he write it? What's the history? Because a common because there's rumor a lot, that, uh, yeah. right? The, the, there's a lot of tug and, on, well, is it accurate? What parts of it is he drawing on? It, has it become just so, sort of a, a catch-all for the you know, mafia and Italians? Uh, right. Almost a, you know, just a lazy... <laughs> <laughs> a lazy catch-all, if you will. Um, so that that is one of the, I guess, probably the first and foremost, like looming thing that I, I was curious about is, well, what about the Godfather is real, and what about it is Mario's creation? Yeah. So we'll start his early life, Italian immigrant family. Although he never met an honest to God mobster mafia person, that's what he said. All of the work in the book was research. So based on stuff that he had looked up, but he had no personal experience. He wasn't a made Mm -hmm. man involved in any of it. And then that's where Mm -hmm. all the rumors come about of like, oh, somebody paid him a bunch from the mob to make this positive piece about it, or he must have been involved somehow and is covering it up. (laughs) But he was not. I I really enjoyed how they set it up in the show. 
because he's kind of getting tug and pull from both sides of his wife and his agent are saying, you know, you need to put out something. You need to put out something that we can sell. You need to put out anything. Yeah. And one comment from the agent is that, well, the mob part of this last failed thing that he had done uh, seemed to get people's attention. Have you thought about any of that? And he kind of blows it off because he doesn't know anything about that kind of stuff. They're killers. We're not killers. He looks at his wife. They're very like homely, like, you know, innocent people. And then the wife said something incredibly succinct that really summed it up. And it's like, yeah, we're not killers, but maybe the book is about finding out how we could be. I'm doing a bad job of paraphrasing. Right. But it's the, the, this book is about uh, discovering how you might be pushed to kill. And right yeah. there, he's inspired. And I thought that was very succinct. I was like, oh, it's interesting. That's a very interesting place. That, well, what if, if it's such an uh, unrelatable place to go, these ruthless killers for business, what is your way in to actually make it compelling or relevant or yeah. emotional, empathetic? And it, instantly, the light bulb was there. I really appreciated that part of it. Yeah. I couldn't find anything related to that specific instance. Sure, yeah, yeah. So perhaps that's dramatized, but you're 100% right mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. he had published two novels. They got good reviews, made absolutely no money. $6,500 took, you know, 10 years between <laughs> both of them to write. It's like, that's not enough money <laughs> at all. And so he he had worked as a government clerk, was in adventure magazines. He's doing stuff. He has, But he has five kids, and he's like, I'd better make some money because he also owed 20000 in oh loans. Gosh. And had a 10-page outline for this more, like you said, oh, the mafia stuff in the second failed book, which we'll get into at the very end about what was that about minus the small mafia stuff that he turned into this whole other big thing. So with this, he wrote it in three years from research. In his autobiography, I think it's worth bringing up because he just has this this section at the end that was rather touching to me called Notes from an Unsuccessful Writer's Diary. And oh, yeah, hit me in the feels. It's journal excerpts from 1950 to 54. This is before his first failed book comes out. And he even says it's filled with self pity and ego and naivete about art and life because he'd been writing for 15 years only to earn $300 before his first book comes out, which then also earned him a couple thousand. But he's like, I don't know what I would have done if I had known it would have been another 15 years to achieve success before The Godfather came out. Yeah. And before presenting these journal snippets, he says, maybe it will help somebody. I hope so. Aww, so if you're yeah. if you're interested in there, I'll, pu- I'll post a link to online copies of the book. But uh, it was very, very much. <laughs> my, I was like, I'm reading my journal articles about me trying to write and not knowing what well, I'm doing. And, this, is, yeah. this is honestly what I think the show is ultimately about is, you know, we're creative people. Uh, you don't have to be a, a, necess- a artist necessarily, but if you're interested in how things come together, how things happen, this is the stuff that, that I, I eat up. Um, mm-hmm. the, the notes from a failed writer from, you know, a name that now everybody, everybody is familiar with, <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah. that, it's that insight into that moment in his life is so fascinating. And that's what I, th- I think we do a good job of trying to bring out those moments of the, the, the journeys of these artists and what it takes to actually get things made. I just wanted to highlight that part of it because I think that is really the, the grit of what, of what we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that was part of like the balance that he had to come to understand stand in this struggle is he said the publishers didn't care about art it's like it's all he believed in for 45 years yeah from when he was a kid because i had seen some literary references that he pulled one of the books that he read at 15 years old that changed his life the brothers karamazov 
the mm-hmm. Russian epic. It, it it has a powerful father, an impulsive elder son, a philosophical son, a good tempered son, and an adopted stepson who's an employee. Uh, okay. Kind of the family yeah, yeah, yeah. dynamic is the same. And then a couple of the lines, the French, I guess some people would describe him as like the French Charles Dickens in terms of what he did. But Balzac, his novel, Le Père Goriot in 1835, the line that is now one of like the most famous line in movies. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Yeah. That comes from this book. It's mutated. So the original in this French novel is, in that case, I will make you an offer that no one would decline. But essentially, it's, uh, wow. it's the same thing. Wow. Look yeah. at and that. And it's, it's about family and rising up the ranks and, and all of that stuff as well. So Everything comes from something, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> Everything comes from something. Uh, and yeah. of course, this is one of the most famous lines, <laughs> uh, yeah. certainly of cinema history. And we are now tracing it back to where the root of the line really comes from. All, all the more to kind of like peel back the mystique, peel back the curtain, the man behind the curtain of like, well, how did these things happen? The most popular, like famous line in cinema history is actually a you know a parallel is inspired right out of something else yeah uh, that's the, well that's, that's incredible just to draw to also of mario puzzo being like I, I tried to be an artist i think he still is an artist but in terms of like he really knows literature and wanted to write like amazing literary type novels and that's a lot of criticism that the godfather book gets is perhaps it's maybe not the most a tale of two cities type work, but he does mm. know this and has worked so hard to merge the two. Right. Eventually, he gets going with this, gets a $5,000 advance. In this time, Paramount was doing something weird for studios, which is getting stuff before the, it had gotten made and successful in terms of adapting work. So they found out about Optioning the novel. Optioning it early. <laughs> right, right, exactly. 67. The novel came out in 69, so they had known about it from a literary scout who contacted the Paramount VP about this manuscript, and they then offered him money, $12,500 for the option, $80,000 if it gets made into a film, and they were Mm. floating him money as he's writing it as well, and it's like, how could you say no to that? Right, because he allegedly needed money to pay off for gambling. That's how he knows the Las Vegas side of things as well. He's a venerate gambler but of course mm. you're going to accept that because it hasn't right. <laughs> it hasn't even been written yet it hasn't even been made into what you know of course he would have accepted more than twelve thousand dollars to start that's how paramount gets involved that's wild that's so interesting because i don't know of anything like that i mean i mean yeah that happens but you just don't hear about that kind of stuff you know it's, uh, that all happens you know yeah. well well behind closed doors so that's that's fascinating (laughs) but yeah this was odd for paramount a major studio at the time from what i could tell right but yeah as far as the book also he wasn't even super happy with it so he had done a draft maybe a couple and then went away to europe and the reason he's going to europe his wife hadn't seen her family for 20 years and he said this is the year to do it and we have some money, but he's using credit cards. He still owes $8,000 in loans to the credit wow, cards, let alone yeah. everything else. In this autobiography, he's like, I'll sell the house. I'll go to jail. Writers have done a lot worse. Like he's, it's, not, it's not anything. But when he gets back, the publisher has already shown it to another paperback publisher, even though he said <laughs> it's not done. They thought oh, it was man. done. And they said, we showed it to them, but they offered us 
$375,000, we're going to turn it down and wait for $410,000. And he's like, whoa, if somebody's going to decline 375000 they must know what they're doing. So he was not right. worried. And this became the largest advance in paperback history up to that point. And oh uh, he's loaded. <laughs> he's got hundreds of thousands of dollars now. Overnight. Uh, Holy God. Yeah. And so published in 69 on the bestseller list for over a year. And this is where he appeared once on the Today Show and felt foolish and felt like there were quotes out of context. And so that's when he ceased interviews and said, I'm not doing anything like this. He said it's not sad too. the way the way they present him is so earnest. And, he, Mm -hmm. you know, he tries really hard, but he has the characterization of a writer was very, very true and earnest. And you want this guy to succeed. And there are times when he sees it and and he ultimately everybody knows he can do it. But then there he has all this self-doubt. He has this crippling, Mm -hmm. you know, so it just weeds in. He goes through these highs and these valleys um, Mm -hmm. and is really, really uh, as a writer, as a creative, I was I was just living for their depiction of him because you want you really want him to do well you want him to succeed he's he's a really in a sea of of sharks basically this Mm -hmm. is like this is a real earthy guy trying to do his best and trying to do his best by everybody and he just doesn't know if he's good enough and everybody's sitting around of course you're good enough just do the work (laughs) it was great yeah absolutely loved it yeah he's definitely what i got from the autobiography is real down to earth in that sense and like the notes from an unsuccessful writer, like he's, I know, yeah, he had been trying and trying and trying, and so that money sense also haunts him. So I don't. Part of this comes from Paramount's side. I don't know if they mentioned in the show at all, but there was another movie that came out around this time that did poorly. Do they get into that in the early parts no, of the show? No, I can't, I can't remember. No, I don't. This I was don't super think interesting. Talk about a rival mobster movie. No. So the. Book came out in 69, and then once it was successful, they were like, well, we got to make this into a movie. But they had made a movie in 68 called The Brotherhood, which did really Mm. poorly at the box office. And people are like, oh, it copied The Godfather, but it's like, it's the same studio, and the book wasn't done, so they couldn't have – it was just like – I guess nowadays right. people say it's not as bad when you look at it. It's uh, Kirk Douglas is the main actor. So it's not a B movie. They put oh, money into it. Yeah. He is a mafia leader. But I guess this was a big reason that the producer Evans Bob wanted Evans. to change things. Yeah. Bob Evans wanted to change things with The Godfather because he believed that a lack of Italian descent for the actors and the key crew was a big reason this film sucked. And right. the quote from him, he was like, he wanted to smell the pasta. And he's like, you don't, <laughs> you don't smell the pasta in this film, The Brotherhood. And then I, I thought it was interesting too, and maybe this is just my own postulations, but the poster for this film features Kirk Douglas and his son, and it's very common to kiss on the lips in this oh. particular culture and line of work and everything. And so the poster features a male-on-male kiss and it's called the Brotherhood, and I wonder if it was just poor marketing on their oh, part wow. as, as well. I'll post a link in the show notes so you can see yeah. it. But it. You know, it like it may not. It doesn't give off the vibe of murder and mafia in my mind. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. They centered that as their key art. I'm looking. Yeah, it up now. <laughs> you see I'm, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty shocked. That's bizarre. Um, yeah. I've never seen anything quite like that because that the like the message the that, that sends yeah. is is just like really 
really far off. You can see immediately the difference between something like this and The Godfather. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, When you hear Bob Evans going, I want to smell the pasta. You know, like, and then you look at what I'm seeing here, the poster for this Kirk Douglas, like in fully embracing a man, you know, this is a very different story. Like, I don't know, there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. I'm just like, but it's not the like macho, like male obsessed, like yeah, yeah. narrative that the Godfather is. <laughs> yeah. So it's its own film in its own right, but it just did not do well at all. Sure. Yeah. So they're trying to- It's just a misfire of marketing. I'm just baffled at the marketing <laughs> on this because like yeah. it all comes, especially at that time, because it all they have so few images. They have so such little material to work with. The name of the game is what image sells our story. Yeah. So I was, I was puzzled at that. But they get, barring this gaffe of, of a failed film on their end, they say, we're still going to do The Godfather. And we got the book for super cheap- they end up getting Mario to also work on the screenplay. And I had seen in an interview, it's like, well, why'd you do that? And he said, well, they came to me and for the money. Also, my novels were taking years and years. Seemed like the screenplay you had to do in two or three months. It's thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. It's like, you can't say no. And then this is where he, working on the screenplay, it hasn't even come out yet. This is where he moves or oscillates between Long Island and Hollywood and gets unceremoniously introduced to Frank Sinatra, even though he doesn't want to. So I know that's a big part of this. <laughs> yeah. This, this is, uh, this is so far, this is prob- probably my favorite part of the show was him being hired to do the screenplay, getting taken to Hollywood and then getting paired with Coppola. And in particular, his, his scenes with Coppola are fantastic. Um, uh-huh. and, 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 and coming from a writer's creative standpoint, I'm, I felt like the two of them are the, all of my personalities in my head when I'm in a creative process. <laughs> um, it was it was really a delight to watch them uh, bounce off of each other. But it, honestly, this his uh, his self-deprecating like uh, insecurities trudging along as he's being as he's like wants this job, gets this job, and then like realizes that it and doesn't realize, but he gets ahead of himself in terms of like how good at his job he actually is. So he's on the top of the world in one scene and the next scene you see him and he is an absolute disaster, hasn't worked, hasn't done a page. He's uh, eating pasta out of the bowl in the (laughs) pool and he's crying and just like admitting defeat before he's ever even started the screenplay. And it's just like the the producer, Ruddy, is like, what happened to Mr. Three Days? Yeah, yeah. It's just like this, this, this little, this little arc through here and the early stage of this show has been absolutely my favorite part. (laughs) Yeah, it's very much the case. So he, I had seen that they had, Puzo had written the first draft based on what the studio wanted, which was to set it in modern times so they could shoot on the back lots and save money. But then when Mm -hmm. Coppola was hired, they did write separately, but remained in contact and kept throwing things back and forth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then this, so this is part of the reason it says Mario Puzo's The Godfather, even though it's the movie and it was a bunch of people. And if anything, usually it's like the director. But from what I could tell, I don't know if this is the reason, but it was a reason. It was Coppola's wish to have his name on there because it was basically still his story because they didn't set it in modern times and he did write the screenplay. And so 
Right. It was yeah, his. Okay. It was so his it was thing. on Coppola's request. That's very interesting. From what it's I can rare. Find, it's just yeah. a. It's just a very rare thing. It's not something you see very often. I I can only off the top of my head think of some of of, of you know John Carpenter is one that usually gets that yeah. kind of thing, and it's con- contractual. Um, that's not because right, this is not in the official title. It's in the poster, but it's not what you have to refer to the thing right. as. You know. Yeah. Right, right. So I thought right. that but it does speak to their connection in at least the writing process because mm-hmm. Puzo mm-hmm. was a consultant but then went to the film set a couple days and then said I have no business here. <laughs> this is other people's <laughs> stuff. Before we get into all that, back I know we've been joshing about it, the Frank Sinatra what yes. he <laughs> what the heck he did to him. Because there was an altercation with them. He did yell at him, threaten to beat him up. I was shocked at this because it comes off as something that seems dramatized almost. But apparently this was what I found out to be the moment that inspired the writer creator of the offer, the show. Right. He said, oh, there is a show here. There, I, I, <laughs> and on this one instance, Mario Buzo almost getting in a fight with Frank Sinatra in Hollywood. That's the beginning that that's enough to go on like uh, making a show about making the godfather Um, yeah so i thought that was that was wild to find out that there's something that almost seems like dramatized and insane is actually (laughs) the truest probably the truest part about a lot of it and then was the reason the show even comes together as a concept at all yeah so this is what was happening when he was in hollywood and he was working on these various drafts and the reason because it doesn't really make sense thinking about just the film itself. But the book was super successful. Everybody knew about it. And the Frank Sinatra-esque character has a much larger role in the novel, his past, his family, his friends, his life in Hollywood. And Puzo thought, oh, I'm presenting this character in a more sympathetic portrayal of the plights that he might have. And mm. uh, Frank Sinatra didn't see it as such. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The uh, interpretations of what happened vary to where they were like needing people to hold each other back. And then right. in Puzo's version, Frank Sinatra doesn't even swear. He just looks down at his plate and keeps uttering angry things at him. Huh. So the, <laughs> the the volume of the altercation shifts drastically but i guess it's like why would he be so mad about the portrayal of him having mafia connections unless there was some rumors exactly. or fr- yeah that kind of thing and that's this is the uh, this is part of this whole the the mystique of the godfather again that i've d- on the outset don't understand is uh, sinatra's connection to the mob and what that looked like because in what you're telling me he's exactly spot on i'm like oh it looks like you don't want to be seen in that light because it's like strikingly true <laughs> and so how is that possible uh you yeah. know it, it, the, the rumors about sinatra being involved with the mob are ubiquitous they're huge but they're uh, they're to the point where like people are yeah they're fat but i i don't know i'm i i am a layman on this so i'm just like well what is the what do we know of the truth of his mob connections and why would yeah. the Jimmy Fontaine character even exist if it weren't somewhat real? <laughs> yeah. So the, the real stuff, he did have an FBI file that was released in 98 
that kind of showed all that oh, they had wow. been tracking him for 40 years and he had So they were like right after he died didn't he yeah, die yeah, yeah, like yeah, right around Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like That's right after he released. died they're like here you go <laughs> <laughs> Here it is everyone Yeah he interacted with many famous mobsters but of course said yeah I interacted with him but it doesn't mean I was a made man and involved and all that you know he's like if right. Saint Saint Francis was a singer at a saloon, he would be around the people that run the saloon and the prohibition people and all that stuff. Right. But it doesn't mean I was involved. But the big stink was two of them actually. His band leader, Dorsey, had him locked into a group contract and he couldn't get out of this contract. And Dorsey was oh, heavy wow. on you're gonna follow this down to the letter. And according to his account, he was muscled into revoking it by some unsavory characters saying, wow. I heard that Frank's going to go solo, you know, with a gun to his chest. And so that's the first instance in the media and the, the rumor mill of, oh, he's got some, some skin in the game with these guys. And then, of course, you're getting pulled into it, basically. Yeah, I can see. Yeah. I can see that, and that that adds to his frustration of being associated with it because he wants to believe that he's not. But ultimately, from our yeah. perspective, <laughs> even if you're saying, "Yeah, I'm not," but that's just how things go, you are involved in it. Like, I, I it's starting to be it's starting to become clear yeah, to me. Yeah, there was also a time <laughs> where the Vegas casinos were majority mob owned, and he had a stake in them. And it's a symbiotic relationship because he's drawing in a crowd and <laughs> right, right, increasing right. the the availability. And so it's like I'm not involved with them. Well, then take your name off the building, <laughs> <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. The, the big thing that really got him, he had had some failed TV work, and getting the role in From Here to Eternity, similar to Dorsey, the band leader. The, another a producer was terrorized into casting him, and so that God. is really what the Godfather pulls from, because that's the Jimmy Fontaine character. The producer yeah. is being terrorized to get wow. him cast. So that's all the truth of Frank Sinatra and his dealings. Um, it's fascinating, though he though he, so you could see why, especially yeah, in the seventies, <laughs> he's over it. He doesn't want it, you know. Yeah. So then the film comes out in 72. It all gets put together. Very different from other mafia noir works in the psychological depth, organized crime and business and politics together. This then also becomes part of like the Frank Sinatra mythology of all this. It's mm -hmm. like, was the mob involved? Were they threatening producers? Were they extras? You know, how does Joe Colombo head Italian mobster all of that is definitely right. in the show, I know, but it's it's been there's an element to the show that that's that's that leads it for me thematically that I, I think is pretty important here in terms of like what they were trying to say about at least what it takes to get something like this done. But they've set up the show. It's telling, talking about these three different worlds. You have the filmmakers, which you're seeing that through the eyes of Ruddy, who's new to the world. So he's being taught about filmmaking while he's doing all of this. Then you have Bob Evans, the Paramount upper echelon executives. Yeah. And then you have Columbo and the real mobsters and their opposition to this production. Mm -hmm. And so you get Bob Evans coaching this guy how to navigate Hollywood, how to navigate the studio system. And then in turn, when the heat starts turning up, you see the training that Bob Evans gave him about how to read an audience and play to your room start to work when he starts to actually interface with Columbo. 
and mm-hmm. he works that magic on Columbo and they become they become kind of buddy buddy and they end up realizing that they can help each other in in a, in a very strange way but i love the <laughs> the bob evans character inadvertently training him to win over this mob boss it was actually it's the completely indirect but i saw it straight through the middle i went oh my yeah. god uh you know t- you know for in episode 1 bob evans is telling him how to do it and in episode 3 uh columbo is his best friend and i'm just like that's what it was doing i i, I just thought that that, that yeah. element and how it navigated those three separate r- worlds and how they related to each other and then really were that the, the advice is valid in all areas I, I thought was really fascinating i just thought that was an, an interesting part of this that kind of sets up how, what the different point of views were while yeah. this production was going down what is interesting the points of view i'll post a link to an article recently in deadline because there was the other producer peter bart who bought the book and then Bob Evans, who has passed, so he was not involved. But they have very differing accounts from Ruddy of how mm. drastically the mafia and Joe Colombo were threatening, or you know, they thought, or according mm-hmm. to Peter Bart, that he was paranoid and nothing. <laughs> they like it was more they loved it and they were helping out and they were involved. But, but that's how was, he turned yeah. it. Is you actually is. He goes to meet with Columbo and it's a very tense, like, do not make this movie. Go back to Hollywood and make a cowboy movie. And that's like, that's the tenet. Yeah, and then yeah. he turns it in, the, uh, Reddy turns it right there. He's like, no, 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 why don't you, why don't you come down to my offices for anybody looking to be maybe a producer in, in the future? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this series is really talking to you about how to produce. Uh, this is such a valid, valid, valid notion to like, well, if who you see as maybe your opposition, perhaps they could be your, a really amazing ally if you could make them feel a part yeah. of what you're doing. If you can find common ground, if you can find a common goal and bring them into the fold, now you're cooking with gas. <laughs> I guess what I, what I would was saying just as for our audience to have a context for it with this show is this is from the memories of Ruddy. And so Peter Bart and Bob Evans are much less in the mind that all the, the you know, the threats and the, the like, yeah, they're oh, the Godfather yeah. is, <laughs> yeah. well, no, 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 that like the Godfather is happening in real life to us. They're like, that was not the case. There were no threats over the phone. There's not bullet holes in his car. Like gotcha, all of these gotcha, things gotcha. are hearsay. And so that's yeah, they have a scene where Bob Evans finds the book with a di- with a bloody rat in it. In right, his that kind of stuff is like yeah, not, that, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So, but w- what you are saying, which is that they did become involved and were very crucial to adding the authenticity and helping mm-hmm. them get it done in New York, is entirely true. And, and also that's what I understand is by... Columbo absolutely did go to the offices and read the script and, and ultimately didn't read the script because who's going to do that is kind of right. The, I guess it's the idea it's... of the scene was like, well, nobody's going to read this right now. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I had looked into like the film was just it wasn't just that the mafia was not interested in it happening. It was denounced by New York Congressman Mario Biaggi. There were petitions urging boycotts. Businesses near filming refused. The Teamsters wanted to stop production and deliveries. Like it's the whole Italian American yeah. community, not just yeah. people involved well, they, in the five. They were families. saying they're purporting that the uh, Colombo character, oh, he creates the uh, the uh, pro Italian, yeah, know, so it's association. The, yeah, the Italian American Civil Rights League, which he created right. in 1970. Yeah. 
whipping up the public interest against the book and then against the production. And that's where you going into the, I guess the fourth episode is they have just joined forces and, and kind of found their common ground of what, what, what does the movie need to do that the book didn't to make you happy, which is a really, really, really interesting uh, notion. (laughs) Right. And I guess the thing that was a big deal was get rid of the word mafia. Exactly. Yeah. Because with this IACRL, the league that Joe Colombo, notable mobster, is saying, well, he had gotten the Justice Department and the NYPD to not use that word in press releases because right. it's like a disparaging thing. And so he also, again, Frank Sinatra, they raised half a million dollars at this benefit concert at Madison Square Garden. I'm not with these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess part of the the ruddy producerial genius was apparently, according to Puzzo, the screenplay only had two instances of the word mafia, which was actually right. the original title of the book. It was just mafia. That was the that was oh, when he oh, was yeah, pitching yeah. it. Um, and so they replaced Again, those. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, just another note, on, uh, uh, um, amazingly astute filmmaking, you know, producerial note here is you. So your your adversary says, I need this out of it. And you make it sound like that's totally possible. Yeah. The director, Coppola, is smart enough to know what is important to his story and what is not. The word mafia or mafioso is not important to his story. Locking the amazing location for the opening (laughs) wedding scene is important to the story. We just got this. I don't need the word mafia. It's only in there. It's not like it's some integral thing. It's not like like we're making Titanic and you can't say ship, you know, something (laughs) like that. It almost becomes a a filmmaking challenge if it were in there a bunch. But Columbo doesn't know. He didn't read the script he just doesn't want it to be in there he doesn't it could yeah. be littered with it so so ruddy is saying oh yeah we'll take it off everywhere it is no problem we'll get on that right now turn around to coppola well it's only used once or twice but i yeah, love yeah. the lie listen to the lie i need you to get rid of it no problem yeah yeah it's just that's that's how making things goes that's what the that shows you the the power dynamics the roles and how they conflate with each other and i just appreciated how they were depicting a producer and a director uh, role against what they would call, you know, and, and the adversary in this role, um, the the Columbo character who needs something that, uh, how do you yeah. make him feel like he's getting more than he actually is? Because it was nothing to take it out of, out of the script. <laughs> right. And then following that, it's like, they're completely on board and maybe they're going to cast some people, which they did. Now and they're like Hollywood, said, baby. They're, they're part they're, of it. Exactly. That, yeah. Bring them in, baby. <laughs> Bending over backwards to help them with locations. And like, so I, I'll post another link to an article from 1971. Nick Pileggi was the only reporter who could visit set and be involved from the New York Times. And so he has an interesting account of how it all went down too. Because he's like, yeah, the movie was celebrated. They they weren't. It wasn't threatening at all when I, you know, there wasn't some mobsters <laughs> behind me twirling a cigar waiting for them to mess up. It's like, no, right. they were trying to find a way to make it great, and they loved it. And actors are, you know, hanging out with them, showing them <laughs> how to talk yeah, and what they say. Yeah. And it added this authenticity to it all. They're getting because, the full Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, you've got the actual people on set, and and they're working really hard to make it look good 
it's reminding me of our episode on Candyman and the uh, the Caprini Green community. Yeah. Wasn't that also similar? And the director helped get them get them involved. Oh, yeah, in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. A, a similar situation. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're doing these types of things, who might be your adversary might be a huge, uh, <laughs> a huge teammate. Yeah. If you can find that route. Yeah. And so with this, this will be our last bit, kind of what happened when this did actually get finished. It was interesting. The, the word Godfather is attributed as a creation of Mario Puzo. Really? Nobody in the crime families used huh. that, <laughs> that word at all. That's interesting. It's a bit more uh, spread out than that. So, yeah, that title then was just bestowed by the media for in, in like mafia, like in press releases and whatnot. It's not doesn't seem to be cause and effect, but you can't say mafia. Mafia is the original title. Yeah. You have to create something that can do the work of mafia. And that yeah. means create something. So okay, now now your parameters are kind of set, but you have to what's something that can what's something that can do that work? It doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to pull it directly out of something, but what I, I'm seeing the choice of Godfather now as being a real a, a real silent key here about getting around <laughs> the word mafia at all. And then beyond the movie, its impact onto our culture and zeitgeist is we're not saying mafia we're saying godfather a mafia don yeah it's the (laughs) word (laughs) yeah definitely so it accomplishes the colombo goal which Mm -hmm. is to eradicate that word out of the the popular conscious uh, and replaces (laughs) it with something made up it's created it's a movie literally the movie version you know (laughs) yeah yeah um, that's a silent mvp for me is because it doesn't seem directly cause and effect we can't use mafia but you know that's that's all before land in the novel time but (laughs) um But I, it seems to be that ultimately that is the choice that accomplishes everything that Columbo was worried about. Yeah. And then with their involvement, it's like in terms of Italian-American culture as mobsters does squash a lot of stereotypes because previous films, it's all from the perspective of an outraged outsider or you oh, know, right. yeah, yeah, some yeah. mobster going down in a blaze of glory after kidnapping someone. And this is more about the sense of family and love and depth, and it's not some illiterate gangster. Exactly, trope. they were upset yeah. and worried that they would be depicted quote in they would that their people would be depicted as animals, yeah. um, and that that was the pitch back to them is like on the contrary, we're trying to humanize again. Going back to the original, the wife's you know uh, thought to Mario is like, well, we we can't imagine killing, but imagine the road it would take to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. That's the work of it. That's humanizing. Yeah, I could see immediately how that's easy. Again, you do, you just <laughs> swipe everything into that catch-all, yeah. that, that easy Italian catch-all, which is what they were very concerned with avoiding. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So then that perception perpetuates to media in film and TV, Scorsese's Goodfellas, of course, The Sopranos yes, yes, on TV yes. forever. It is the Godfather's take on a sense of family and duty and a coherent philosophical right. almost nature to the whole thing, <laughs> which I, this is wild to me. There was a study done by the Italic Institute of America. So in mm. the past a hundred years, which would I, almost be the totality of filmmaking, 81% of films featuring Italian Americans as mobsters was made after the Godfather. 
Wow, really? <laughs> yeah. So there were quite That's a few films made in this, you know, but it wasn't, it, it exploded this specific type of mobster mafia film is Italian American, mm-hmm. this whole family sensibility to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm just pulling off of the random cinema trees, but it makes me instantly kind of appreciate the the swing that is Scarface because it's a very different attempt at that. Right. Uh, it's yeah. a very in terms of like on its face a very similar crime mob movie, but it's a very different culturally, very different mm-hmm. in a setting sense uh, all the way around. Um, so that and it's just very interesting. I, I had not even thought about the statistics before and after in terms of like volume of this <laughs> genre. <laughs> yeah, it was like 10 a year for a while hmm. that could be labeled as such. Yeah. The downside, though, is the scrutiny, which is then overly associating Italian immigrants with organized crime, because right. if that's the majority of what you're seeing. So FBI, this is more statistics because that's who I am. But mm-hmm. uh, in 2009, they looked at who they knew of the crime families and whatnot. 0.008% of Italian Americans have some sort of criminal association. That is so Doesn't 0.008%. That, yeah, that's got to be on par with the rest of the population, right? But yeah, but then in a different <laughs> study, 74% of the American public believe that Italian Americans have ties to the mob. Oh, good. We're insane. Which is just I was <laughs> it's bananas. So it's outrageous. <laughs> yeah. One could say that it it was a blessing and a curse of being like, oh yeah, this is showing this nuanced portrayal. But then at the same time, people only think that that's what it is. It's like going out and getting a boat to kill sharks after seeing Jaws. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, like, I don't under, I, it's like, it's a movie folks. <laughs> oh yeah. my God. But then <laughs> the, the other side. too seriously. So the 0.008% that can take it seriously because they're actually in the crime families, this was their reaction to it. Just a particular guy, Salvatore Gravano, the underboss of the Gambino crime family, he said he floated out of the theater. He's like, that was our life. Many guys felt the same way. Hmm. Kind of interesting that they're like, oh, we're mm-hmm. seen. We're, you know, this this perception. <laughs> they, and the- walk out, no, they walk out, I've been seen. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> they know me. They've yeah. heard me. That's, uh, be- that's beautiful. That's yeah. what I mean. What do you want? What do you want? What do you <laughs> as like setting out to make something like this? If you could like bring the real like mobster killer to yeah. to tears, I mean, like I've been touched. Like that, you well, did yeah. it. <laughs> well, and then even some uh, imitation. So Anthony Fiato, who was a hitman for the L.A. crime family, then became undercover and then was in witness protection. He said that certain family members of the. Uh, families that he was involved in changed their speech to imitate Vito Corleone. (laughs) They stopped swearing as much. They improved their grammar. They were philosophizing more, which is hilarious. Oh, wow. That it was like, oh, we want to be like, get to a higher standard. They got good ideas in here. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, we're not just ruthless killers. Yeah. There, there is moral ambiguity. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's on the uh, good, good marks on the gangster side as well. So wow. all of those beautiful things. It's so fascinating that Puzo was able ultimately to like get that <laughs> to humanize exactly what he set out to humanize basically. Yeah. <laughs> um if they're walking out of the theaters going up and seeing, you know, it's when you go go back to the, you know, in the show the moment between him and his wife and they're like, well maybe the book is about the road to being to understand mm. killing. Yeah. Like, mm, I think yes. 
yeah, I think you did it. <laughs> <laughs> so that I did find a little bit on, we had briefly mentioned his failed two books, and then that compelled him mm-hmm. to say, oh, I'm going to pull the little mafia bit from this second book, which is his second failed book, which is actually his favorite book. It's just teased, right? Yeah. It's barely just teased in the first episode. Nobody bought it. Nobody came to see him. Uh, it's another failure and immediately talking about, you know, well, what can we do? What do I got to do next? What you going on to the agent going like, well, we like the mob. The people seem to like the mobster part of the thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's just barely in the first episode. It reminds me a lot of Pachinko, it's called The Fortunate Pilgrim. Mm. It's based on his own mother. So it follows the mother as the matriarch of this family of immigrants in New York City through the Great Depression, World War II, the conflict of Italian mm. and American values, like with Pachinko, yeah. the Korean Japanese. Like I said, it bombed, but it was his favorite. Yeah. There wasn't enough mob violence. It, one of the side characters is involved. And so that's where that then becomes the main thing. But this right. was super interesting. In a, in a updated preface to The Fortunate Pilgrim, he wrote, Whenever the godfather opened his mouth, in my own mind, I heard the words of my mother. I heard her wisdom, her ruthlessness, and her unconquerable love for her family Mm -hmm. and for life itself, qualities not valued in women at the time. The Don's courage and loyalty came from her. His humanity came from her. So I know now, without Lucia Santa, I could not have written the godfather. So it's basically him saying all of this I owe to my mom, and she really was the inspiration. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get because that's the whole thing of like the Godfather is this hyper masculine, chauvinistic, yeah. <laughs> but it I, all... I, seriously, I got chills throughout my whole body. Is purporting that the Don is really a, a reflection a, of his a mom, por- a, a reflection of his mother. How incredible! I mean, how I mean again to say to for something that has become this like macho staple of masculinity, <laughs> like yeah. men are obsessed with the Godfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that the Don is really, really inspired by Mario Puzo's mother. <laughs> I mean, it's it's beyond interesting. It's beyond impactful. I mean, it, it goes to say, I mean, you, you start to go into like th- thinking about feminism and film mm-hmm. and all those types of things. It's like it makes me instantly think of uh, Alien. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ripley character is written as a man, casted as a woman. Um that's well, exactly interesting. what it looks like they did with the dawn and you know in, in a very like <laughs> arms distance you know kind of parallel but well i would uh, say for all those because you don't people don't know about this at all and i would say it's a, probably a, a amazing companion piece if you're going to watch the godfather yeah, one and two oh or read the book go read the fortunate pilgrim the female oh. side of italian immigrant story at this exact place and time Wow. And the guy who wrote it said, oh, yeah, this is my favorite thing. This is what started it all. This is the art that I actually wanted people to see. Yeah. Exactly. I love what the character says about it. He's like, I really thought people would would relate to this. I thought I I really had put, you know, the plight <laughs> of our culture on the page. I thought yeah, people yeah. would see themselves in it. That was such a, 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 little, a little window, a glimmer into this book. But I cannot believe how in really influential it is on the work the godfather um yeah wow what an what an amazing little discovery there the dawn a woman a <laughs> companion piece about women oh my god yeah oh my god we're pulling out all the stops here today taylor i can't thank yeah. you enough audience we love you thank you for sticking with us if you're listening to this right now if you would give us a like give us a rating suggest an episode on that topic about that friend who's always talking about that thing 
If it reminds <laughs> you of them, send it to them. Uh, the ratings, the sharing, that's how we get this going. That's how we keep doing what we do here and bringing you the facts every week. And you can do so at IlliteratePod on Instagram. Send us a message. Please reach out if you want us to cover something. You never know what we're going to do. And we will catch you right back here next week, y'all. Thank you.